Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 620. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so excited and revved up today to uh, introduce two very special guests. These are uh, Cars Yeah alumni, two guys that have been on the show before, Bill Warner and Tom Cotter. Bill and Tom, are you guys buckled up and ready for a fun ride? You bet. Well, there's no seat. There's no seatbelts in Cuba, so <laughs> we're just hanging off for our life. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Oh my gosh. Well, both Bill Warner and Tom Cotter, as I said, are past guests here on Cars Yeah. Bill is the founder of Amelia Island Concorde de Elegance, of course, one of the top events in the world. He's been a journalist, a photographer, a racer, and, and he even ran a Porsche 911 in the infamous Cannonball Run way back in 1975. And Tom Cotter, of course, is an author that we all know about. He's written that iconic six-book series, The Barn Find, starting with The Cobra in the Barn. He's a longtime magazine contributor and travels around the world looking for cool cars and writing very cool stories. Bill and Tom have collaborated and created a new book that I want to share with you listeners titled Cuba's Car Culture, Celebrating the Island's Automotive Love Affair. It's published by our friends at Motor Books, where Zach Miller runs the company, and Zach's another past guest here on Cars Yeah. And I want to let our listeners know that one fortunate subscriber to Cars Yeah is going to receive a copy of this cool new book, Compliments of Bill and Tom. This thing is absolutely spectacular, so simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button. I'll send you my ebook, and your name will be in the hat to win a book. So guys, welcome back to Cars Yeah. I want to thank you for being here. I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you uh, each tell me a little bit about what led to you two getting together, going on a road trip to Cuba? And writing about Cuba's car culture, we'll start with Bill. Well, Tom and I met years ago when I was doing a story photos on uh, Bill Elliott, and uh, Tom was at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And we first met, we maintained our friendship over the years, and, and we go to various car shows together. And when uh, we were going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of uh, Sir Sterling Moss's victory at the Cuban Grand Prix, and, and the, the theme that year for Amelia Island was going to be the, the cars of Cuba, uh, the race cars of Cuba, because all the race cars came out of Cuba. There's, not, there's nothing left down there to speak of. We found out that as, an, as a foundation, we could travel to Havana on an educational uh, visa, and in this case, it was. We were going down to study the history of Cuban racing. 
So we applied to the uh, Treasury Department and got approval to go. Nice. And Tom, being an experienced writer and, and a very good writer, and uh, I, my background in photography with road and track, it seemed natural that we should uh, we should do a book on the, the car culture of Cuba. Yeah, you know, this is very cool. And also, I'll let our listeners know that Sir Sterling Moss wrote the foreword to this book. So that kind of ties the whole thing together. Tom, what uh, prompted you to uh, pack your bags and uh, hop in an airplane with Bill and go down to Cuba? Well, you know, I've been hunting for old cars really since I'm 12 years old. So that's a half a century ago. And Cuba is one of those bucket list locations where, you know, you hear about the cars down there. You see a picture now and then in a magazine. But, you know, when Bill gave me the opportunity to join him on a trip down there on a cultural exchange that's just the ultimate car guy trip you have to do it and uh it was a challenge to get the visas and stuff in place and a challenge uh to uh you know write the book the biggest challenge was uh i don't speak spanish so i had to go through a translator but you know at the end of the day i think it came out pretty okay Pretty okay is an understatement. It came out awesome. <laughs> yeah, he, he was the only one uh, that got picked out at uh, at uh, security inspection going into Cuba. So I, they must have seen something the rest of us didn't see. Yeah, here comes trouble. It's Tom, <laughs> that guy who looks for cars. So, well, I love this. You know that what a great a story about two buddies that met over cars and ended up traveling to Cuba and writing a book about cars. I mean, this is absolutely spectacular. But as we continue on this amazing journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. Both of you guys have been on the show before. You've shared success quotes with me, but maybe there's something new you want to share that kind of inspired you, that kept you pushing you through some of the challenging times of getting this book done in this trip. So, Bill, we'll start with you. You know, I guess it's it's overcoming the restrictions and the and the fact that People say you can't do something. You can't go there. You, you know, it, it was a challenge. I mean, it took us the better part of nine months to get approved. You know, background checks and going through it. And uh, uh, Congressman uh, John Campbell uh, helped us a lot. His secretary helped us get the, the visa to go. When we got there, we didn't quite know what to expect. We'd hired a guide, and we used a, a lady named Mildred Diaz in Miami, who's called a Cuban guru. So the big challenge was to get cleared to go there. The, the other thing, and, and Sterling Moss alludes to it in his foreword, you know, we're going down to kind of stick our nose around in places where you really, that's not a really good thing to do in a communist country. You know, you get your nose shot off. So it was somewhat of a challenge. But when we got down there, we found first the Cuban people love Americans. They don't talk a lot because uh, the way their system works, they report on each other. If someone has a little bit more money than another guy or someone has uh, uh, access to things the others don't seem to, neighbors report on neighbors. So when you start nosing around about cars, a lot of times they would kind of freeze up. You really appreciate the freedoms we enjoy here in the United States when you get into that atmosphere that is so restrictive. Oh, yeah. How about you, Tom? Is there a quote or a mantra or some thought that comes to mind that, that uh, comes forward when you think about this uh, incredible journey? You know, there's one quote that I use for everything in my life, and it's Roger Penske's motto. It's it's uh, effort equals results. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's like, you know, we wanted to go down there, and it was just could we get the permission to go down there and do it? And, you know, Bill and Mildred and congressmen got, got, into, you know, got involved, and, you know, nine months later, we're, we're flying down there, uh, flying from Miami down to uh, – Havana, son of a gun, it worked. I'll forever be grateful to to Bill and that whole crew that made it happen. Yeah, awesome, fantastic. Well, let's dig a little deeper into this journey. I'd love for you guys to share what was your 
instigating factor or your goal in getting this book written? I want you to take us to a point in time when you decided this is a story that needs to be told. It needs to be told in a very different way because people have gone down to Cuba. They've talked a little bit, magazine articles and things like this, but nothing in the, the depth that you guys have done. So we'll start with Bill. What kind of prompted you to dive into something like this? Well, you know, I, it seems to me there were a lot of books out about Cuba and people had gone, Europeans had gone down there, but I don't think any two real serious car guys went down with the goal of studying the history and the culture down there. They'd go down and, and shoot the cars on the street. Oh, that's neat. There's an old 55 Chevrolet or something. But I never got into speaking with those folks who were involved in that community down there. I went down four times from 2009 to current. And every time I went, more doors opened. But they were always cautiously open. There, there's some stories that Tom and I couldn't tell. We didn't want to get anybody in trouble. Mm. Uh, everybody's waiting for the big change when things that are squirreled away or haven't been talked about can come out of the shadows. I think that was, Tom, wouldn't you agree that's one of the biggest challenges we had? Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, there are some cases in the book that uh, we couldn't use last names because the story they told us could get somebody in trouble. Mm. Let me let me just you know tell how naive I was when I went down there. The idea for this book, and I literally thought that I could sneak my way, find out where Castro lived, and sneak my way into his garage and and nose around a warehouse that was bound to be filled with cool cars that he'd gotten from world leaders as gifts. And the moment we got out of the airport and into the parking lot to catch a ride to our hotel, and I saw guys standing with machine guns, and I started to hear stories about. Um, people that had nosed around places and now were in a prison for several years. I said, you know, maybe, maybe that's not going to happen. Yeah, your old uh, tradition here in the U.S. of poking <laughs> your nose into barns isn't going to work very well in Cuba. And, no, but, uh, uh, but, it, but, it, but it worked nonetheless. You know, what, yeah. comes to, what comes to mind here is I had a guest on the show here, Colin Krabby. Uh, if you guys know Colin, he's been known for uh, hunting down cars around the world. And he wrote a book called Thrill of the Chase. And he talked a little bit about going to Cuba. He pulled some pretty significant cars out of Cuba. Uh, this was way back when, uh, old Jaguars and things like that. And he shared some of these same stories of having to be very careful and not to get people in trouble or get himself in trouble. So, uh, you know, it's just an interesting aspect of the story you guys are sharing here because we take for granted many times the freedoms we have in this country. Well, you got to remember, I talked to Colin last week when I was in the UK. Uh, he doesn't get around very very well anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was back in the 70s, yeah. you know, the late 70s, when he pulled two JAG XKSSs and a BMW 507 out of Cuba. And uh, it was literally without the knowledge of the, of the government down there. Shortly thereafter, the government got wise to it, shut everything down. Yeah. And uh, Colin was telling me he was very, very lucky he didn't get caught up in, in something there that would have landed him in jail yeah they now look on a lot of these cars as treasures of the state in the book you'll see a car that i lust after the uh, the 53 chrysler gear mm. it's one of 12 built and it's the quote-unquote missing gear and it's not missing it's in cuba yeah the chances of getting that car out are zilch right now well you know, that leads to my next question that has to do with some of the challenges you face. Now, you've talked a little bit about it, the challenges with getting visas just to get there, the challenges with being there, uh, not getting anybody into trouble, not getting yourself into trouble, and just all the restrictions. But maybe you could each share a little bit of some challenges that you faced that you didn't expect when you got down there and what you learned from those. I'll start with Bill. 
Well, we had a guide the whole time we were down there, and I think we were there four days, four or five days. Dick Messer from the Peterson Museum went with us. I know Dick. Yeah, I met Dick years ago. Scott George from the Revs Institute. When we got there, our, our tour guide looked to be about a three-quarter size Obama. And uh, we get in the van, and he, he's telling us how many tons of zinc and cobalt they ship and how many cigars and bananas they ship and how happy everybody is. And I said to him, I said, Abel, are you a communist? He said, no, no, I'm 100% Cuban. I said, I didn't ask you that. I said, I asked if you're a communist. He says, no, 150% Cuban. I said, well, Abel, I'll tell you what you are. You're a capitalist. He says, what do you mean I'm a capitalist? I said, you know, you'll make 10 times the money in one week that an average Cuban makes in a year being our tour guide. Therefore, you are a capitalist. And he didn't say anything. And yeah. The next day, he turned around. He said, Mr. Warner. I said, no, my name's Bill. Call me Bill. He says, Bill, in Cuba, we pretend to work, and the, and the uh, government pretends to pay us. So after that, we got along just fine. <laughs> yeah, a little, little reality check there. Oh, my gosh. Well, how about you, Tom? And you talked about thinking you could poke your nose into Barnes and then realizing pretty fast when you saw those machine guns, maybe that's not the right approach. Is there something you can share with us that was a big challenge that you faced in the writing of this book that you didn't expect? Well, I'll tell you what didn't work, and that was asking our tour guide to take us to a junkyard. You know, I, asked Abel, <laughs> I asked Abel, you know, he said, you know, where do you want to go? You want to see the historic district? You want to see the beaches or uh, the churches? He says, no, we want to see a junkyard. And he looked at me. He said, what's a junkyard? I said, well, you know, it's where old cars are and People can buy parts and sell scrap and whatever. And he looked at me dead seriously and said, sir, our whole country is a junkyard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, over there, there are no junkyards. I've read in, in books back in the 50s, there were huge junkyards. But they've all become parts for other cars to keep them on the road. If anybody has an old carburetor or a ball joint or a radiator, they keep it in their house and, and they guard it. And this is either going to be used in their car one day or for trading towards a part they might need someday. So there's no junkyards. Everything is just too valuable to sit outside. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can see where that's true. And it's one of the things I mentioned it in our pre-show chat. As I read your book, you guys didn't really pull any punches here. I mean, you really call Cuba the way it is. If you look at it, there's a lot of buildings in decay. These folks that are trying desperately to be and they're so ingenious to keep their cars on the road and drive them because they can't just go buy a part or go to a junkyard. It's nice that you did that because you painted a different picture, a more realistic picture, is my sense. Is that Was that your your approach? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll clean it up some. Uh, on uh, another trip I went down there, I, I had a tour guide who will go nameless, and uh, he, he was having a rough time. He had a, a degree in civil engineering couldn't be employed, was being paid the standard $20 a month. I had an old Mitsubishi van that was beat up that he was taking me around in. And he said to me, he says, you know, you Americans are all, all romantic about these cars down here. He says, these cars are crap. He says, as soon as I get to, I'm going to have something with air conditioning that I can drive. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, everybody talks about going down to Cuba and getting those great cars. Well, guess what? They're not great. They're a hodgepodge of parts, yeah. Russian diesel engines. They can probably can't go much faster than 40 or 50 miles an hour and most likely can't stop in a reasonable distance. Yeah. You'd find a better car in South Georgia to restore. In fact, I, I think I said in the book that if they ever get any money, which, which is the big if, There'll be more cars going from the United States to Cuba, more old cars going down there than ones coming back from there. Yeah, well, you know, I appreciate you being so candid about that because there is that romanticness about Cuba that in reality when you're there and you see it, uh, it's not that romantic. And these, these folks are trying desperately 
to just get by. And I love the comment that, you know, I would love to have a new car. I'm sick and tired of these old cars that are all oh, yeah. down. So. But I, I tell you what, the country is beautiful. The farm country and, and out in in the backlands, you know, it's it's staggeringly beautiful. Uh, Mike Sierra and Cynthia Sierra and I drove the whole distance of the island. And over in the sugarcane plantations and the mountain areas, it's just breathtaking. And I think it's because there's been no development. It's like it was 50 years ago. The downtown historic district of Savannah, of Havana, they're fixing up. And you can only imagine what it was like in the in the 50s and the early 60s, how beautiful it was and how beautiful it can be again. Yeah, let's all hope so. I sure hope so. Well, let's shift gears here, guys, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share kind of a project aha moment, some kind of epiphany you each had during this project that was either something enlightening or something that took you down a new path and kind of walk us through that aha moment that that helped you make the book a reality. We'll start with you, Tom. Oh, boy. That, that's a toughie. You know, I, I, I guess I had a lot of preconceptions going down there. There, there. there were no really aha moments that I can think of. The book was a challenge to write, though. I've written now 16 books, and this is certainly the toughest because if I wanted to interview somebody that owned a 55 Ford or a uh, 59 Austin Healey or something, I spoke English, they spoke Spanish. And I had to go through a translator, and they had to go to the then they had to go to the subject, and back from the subject to the translator, back to me. So the interviews just took forever, and and things were lost in the translation, mm-hmm. and that made it that made it tough. Interviews took twice as long, and I, I was only half confident that I could get all the information right because things were lost in between. Uh-huh. So uh, the aha moment I think was uh, we really have it good here in the states where we speak one language and. Uh, uh, we, we it's, a, yeah. it's a lot e- easier to interview somebody for a book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. How about you, Bill? I think my aha moment was in knowing how the Cubans live and the fact that they, they live on this stipend of $20 a month or roughly that and, and a subsistence of chicken and rice and other things, that in that in that uh, milieu, there is a underground economy and uh, many of the old cars are operating because they're used as taxis and it's a way that a cuban can make more money mm-hmm. than what the government gives them and there's some entrepreneurial cubans down there uh they live very crude by our standards but they're out there you know shaking the trees and and making an extra buck whether it's uh the, the tour guide we had with the 55 chevy with air conditioning that took us around and and that that, that chevy was his biggest asset in his life. He took us to his apartment. Their water comes from cisterns. The city's not even plumbed. I mean, they live basically. But this guy's out there every day shaking the trees and making an, uh, an extra buck. So there is this this uh, entrepreneurial uh, uh, spirit that lives among many of the Cubans. Others are just numb to it. They've known it for 50, 60 years and they accept the stories they're told by the West, and that's it. Yeah, wow, wow. We met, we met a couple of guys at a, at a road rally, and these guys were old enough to have known what freedom was like before the embargo. And one gentleman told us that he uh, took the ferry boat over to Miami and bought a fuel-injected Corvette, drove it around Florida for a while and put it on the ferry, brought it back, and he'd just go back and forth visiting relatives, go Christmas shopping, and from one day to the next, that all stopped. Yeah. And you know, it, the Corvette was ultimately sold, and uh, you know he had he had to take on the the life of a pauper when in fact he was a businessman and an entrepreneur, 
really, really sad. The people that were born since then don't know the difference, but the people that were born before then, it must, it must hurt to get up every morning. I can only imagine. Well, what makes this book so special and proud for you guys uh, as far as the final publication? Is there something that stands out for you that you can stand back and go, man, this is really cool. I'm so happy I did this. Bill? I, well, I think it I, was uh, the, the pleasure of working with Tom and, and getting uh, working for a common goal to get something done that that transi- transitioned just the car culture into the, the, the whole culture of the island. I think we could probably have made the book twice as long. There are a lot of stories to be told that are yet to be told. I want to go back. Uh, the, the sad part now, <laughs> sad part for us, lucky for us, we went early. Yeah. We went before the, the, this huge onrush. The last time I went down, the hotel prices had doubled. It was a hit or miss of whether you could get a, a rental car or not because the demand was so high. They were tearing up the historic district, rebuilding it, new hotels, everything. So that the magic of the Cuba we knew is going away pretty fast. I don't think it's trickling down to the everyday man, but it, it is changing. Uh, I think Tom and I say to each other, golly, we got to get down there for the first McDonald's shows up. Oh, God. <laughs> How about for you, Tom? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the most satisfying part of, the, of writing the book was that the um, story that we told was counter to the story that most Americans have and to most books and TV shows that people have seen or read. Yes. Uh, that, you know, it's, the, it's people so proud of the Cuban classic cars. They're classic. They're these classics, they're well-maintained, they're restored. And it was, in some ways, I felt guilty about telling a a story that was counter to most uh, people's beliefs, but uh, you know that's that's the truth. And the only way to write a book is about is the truth. And I think that so Bill and I broke new ground on this book by by telling uh, an honest story, not some idealistic story. Well, you hit the nail on the head there. To me, it's a very honest book, and that's what I liked about it because. When I first got it, I thought it was going to be another picture story book about, you know, the fairy tale of old cars in Cuba. And very quickly I went, ah, this is a very honest book, very refreshing. So I'm glad you guys took that approach. Now, Tom, you've written 16 books over your career. Is that right? Yeah, I just turned in the manuscript for number 16. Yes. Wow. Uh, just absolutely incredible. And uh, is this the first book that you've been involved with, Bill? Yes, I've done photos for a number of books, but none of which I was uh, kind of the working partner in it. I guess the first book I did some work on was a Fitzgerald Merritt Ferrari book back in the 70s. But uh, I've always wanted to do a book. I'm I'm, I'm working on a second one. I, I hope I get it done. It's um, called The Other Side of the Fence, 50 Years of Motorsports Photography. And I'm about a third of the way through getting the images put together. But cool. I, I could not have written this book. I'm, I'm not a writing talent like... Uh, like Tom is. I mean, he he was able to put it into words. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And that's what made it work so well. Working as a team on this thing, uh, me from the photographic standpoint and the logistics standpoint. Yeah, great teamwork, guys. Now, how about writer's remorse? Is there anything about the book that you wish you'd done a little differently? Well, you know, not not that I can think of. I mean, it would be wonderful if we could do a part two. And you know, Bill, I've been meaning to tell you about this. I think I think we need to find another Cuba. I think we need to, like, you know, I hear Iran is uh, chock full of free cars. <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that. I was at a dinner. I'm not dropping, I don't want to seem like I'm dropping names, but uh, when I was at Goodwood, I had dinner with a bunch of fellows at the 
Lord Marches, and the guy across the table from me, his brother owns the other Mercedes-Benz Autobahn Courier, and he was he's Iranian. And we're trying to get the car out of Iran to bring it to Amelia Island. And I said, boy, that's going to be a challenge. He says, no, no, I think I can do it. But, you know, Iran is probably, there was a lot of money there. The Shah of Iran had some neat cars. Yeah. But that once again, you can't go nosing around these countries. You could very well end up in a, in a cell for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah, wow. I think if I was to do it over again, I would have gotten more creative in the photography. We, we bought some images from uh, Getty because I was more concerned with the cars and maybe the people than the uh, than the beauty of the cars sitting in uh, the uh, the back roads of Cuba. I didn't use uh, I, I wasn't photographically creative. Uh-huh. You know, I think a part two would be pretty cool or going to another country would be uh, quite spectacular. So uh, I hope something like that comes to fruition down the road now that you know that you two guys can get along so well. So <laughs> I think it'd be great. And is there, uh, speaking of that, is there upcoming projects? Now, Tom, you mentioned just turning in a manuscript. What's a new book that you've written? Uh, I spent a couple of weeks in Detroit and uh, looking for cars in and around Detroit and, you know, with the Motor City and Different than most of my road trip books where we're driving two to 300 miles a day plus trying to find cars in the middle of that. Uh, we just put our suitcases down in one place for two weeks and just look for cars and uh, didn't have to put in a certain amount of mileage every day to get close to Los Angeles or whatever. Yeah. So it was a different kind of book for me. And we found some killer cars you know, down in the hood, you know, that uh, somebody opened up their garage door and there's a Jag XK140 Roadster and a coupe. Nice. Uh, you know, a Ferrari 250 that hadn't been washed since 1971. Oh, uh, just, just neat stuff. Yeah. Neat stuff. Yeah. Well, you're the master of that. Well, guys, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. Hey Cars Yeah! listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life car covers front end masks dash covers seat covers floor mats and much much more covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle covercraft is the right choice i use them on all my vehicles and your special vehicles will love them too learn more today at covercraft.com and you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. 
For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Bill, Tom, we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you guys to give our listeners some quick blips of the throttle answers. And we'll start with Bill every time and then go to Tom. What's the best book writing advice you can offer? Partner with a good writer. <laughs> How about you, Tom? Boy, take notes, 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 notes. Just transcribe, you know, like either write them down in a notebook or do a tape recording or both because you cannot have too much. When the publisher says, give me 55,000 words and you've only got 15,000, you'll wish you had taken those notes. Oh, gosh, yeah. What great advice. Now, could you share a personal habit that you believe helped contribute to your ability to complete this project, this book? I would like to say, when I meet someone new, it's, it's, it's like a new friend, and, and try to bond with them right off the bat. It, you know, initially we went down, and our, our friend who has helped us out is uh, Eduardo Masejo, who's head of the Cuban Depository. They, they don't really call it a museum. It's a depository of cars. He was a great help to us. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the last night on the first trip that we really got connected into the people who are really deep in the, uh, the automotive um, uh, community there mm-hmm. so it took three more trips to really get into some places and see some some cars yeah but i'd, I'd say the, the be to be able to be uh, a member of the automotive community rather than an american or a cuban i mean our common interests were the cars hello car guy how about you tom yeah i think on a similar line it's it's sincerity uh, you know like people can tell if if you're interested in capitalizing on their car or you sincerely want to meet them and learn about their car I don't think Bill and I ever uh, asked anybody, you know, would you sell that car or could we, could you help us get it out of here? You know, we were there for the stories and the people and uh, not to capitalize on, on these cars. Now, you guys have mentioned several uh, great resources and people in particular that helped you make this trip possible, which made the book possible. Are there any other resources that you could share that you found were a great help uh, in accessing and when you were trying to write this book? Oh, let's see. Well... Uh, Mildred Diaz was a great help to us as far as the transportation, the logistics of getting a hotel. I would say if you're going down for the first time, get a guide. After you get the lay of the land, get yourself a, a rental car. The insurance is, is terribly expensive because they don't have car insurance in Cuba. Oh. If, uh, the insurance companies will carry insurance on you and their rental car, but the, the, the Cuban people don't have car insurance. Hmm. You crash, you're, you're out of luck. Don't be afraid to branch out, leave Havana and drive. Just make sure you keep the gas tank half full. Uh, don't drink the water. <laughs> yeah, great tip. <laughs> I came back with a virus and lost about, it was a great diet. I lost 20 pounds. But. Uh, yeah, that's a tough way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How about you, Tom? Well, you know, before I left on either trip, I did a lot of uh, research online, magazine stories, New York Times stories, a couple of books that I really enjoyed were uh, Joel Finn's book about the Caribbean capers, about the Cuban Grand Prix Yes, that happened there, a Cuban Grands Prix that happened 57, 58, and 60, plus the various stock car races that happened in conjunction. And also a really good book by an American 
and the name of it's called Shays Chevrolet and Fidel's Oldsmobile. And there's so so much in our book that I would not have been able to research had it not been for his book, because he lived there for months. He spoke Spanish, and he was able to read old newspaper accounts and interview old mechanics and whatever about you know the way it was back in the well 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And uh, so that that book was a huge help in putting together our book. Fantastic. Now the book is available now, and it's available through Motorbooks, correct? Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Amazon. Or Motorbooks. Amazon Motorbooks. Great. You know, I'd like to add one thing um, also that when we when we were down there researching before we went, the, the, the two books that I felt well, there was there were three books I read, which gives you an insight as to why the revolution happened. One is Havana Nocturne. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is. Um, the Sugar King of Havana, about the, the takeover of the sugar industry down there. Mm-hmm. And the third one was uh, Meyer Lansky in Havana, Meyer oh. Lansky and the mob. And if you if you read those three, you, you understand how a revolution took place. It doesn't necessarily argue the case for the revolution, but it, uh, you can see the frustration that was in the Cuban country mm-hmm. over the uh, involvement of the U.S. Mafia. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those were the three books. They had nothing to do with automobiles, but they certainly had everything to do with uh, the Cuban people and, and what they were going through prior to the revolution. It's interesting to note that Tom and I sit there and the guys we were talking to who truly buy off on the revolution, there's a lot of people who don't. They would always say, well, you know, like we say, well, I'll get to it after Christmas. You know, well, it's them as, you know, prior to the uh, the triumph of the revolution or after the triumph. Of the revolution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all great references. I I appreciate you sharing those because it's certainly an important part of what's happened down there and understanding that what led up to that because um, the way history is taught now in this country, you just don't learn all the uh, the real details of it. So uh, great three book references and the one you reference as well, Tom. Fantastic. All right, guys, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question has to do with one singular message that you'd like to share with our readers that you think they'll get from reading Cuba's car culture. And if there's a single message you'd like to, you hope the reader gets, what would that be? We'll start with Bill. I would, I would say that people who are car people, you might say car guys, they all have a common love and appreciation. They speak that language on the same terms, regardless of what country you're from or what government you endorse. Mm-hmm. And when you get a bunch of car guys together out here where they are, it's all about cars. And uh, I, I think that's the message we wanted to send with, with the book. Absolutely. Tom? I, I wrote two books last year, and in both of them I felt like I stepped back into the 50s. <laughs> the Cuba book, uh, that country will, uh, for the foreseeable future, be in the 50s. And then Route 66, driving from Chicago to L.A. on the old mother road. And, uh, you know, I just want to leave your listeners with the, mm, I guess, the uh, uh, thought of you can visit one easily, Route 66, or one takes a little more effort, which is Cuba, but go see them before they've changed significantly, because right now they're, they're stuck uh, in a, a 60 years old, uh, or 60 years ago, and, and the cars, the buildings, the people, the everything about those two areas are so different, yet so similar. I was And, and to see them just three months apart was really an intriguing opportunity. Ah, brilliant suggestions from both of you. Well, guys, you've taken us on an awesome ride again here on Cars. Yeah, I want to thank you for coming back and talking to me again. I've really enjoyed learning more about the story behind this story of Cuba's car culture, this fantastic new book that you both put together. And I want to thank you for sharing this journey with us. 
Could you each give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sugarcane fields in Cuba again? We'll start with Bill. <laughs> I, I have a, a real taste for uh, what we used to call plantains. I grew up in Florida, and my, and, and my dad, who grew up in Tampa in the 1880s, always called them plantains. The formal people call them plantain. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. I looked all over Cuba for really good plantains, and I found them in the Miami airport. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, the food down there is is, is okay. Uh, you you won't find uh, four stars, but it's not bad, so yeah. enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. How about you, Tom? Well, I'll just leave with the parting shot that uh, go out and find these cars quickly wherever you go because rust never sleeps. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Those tin worms are always chewing away. That's for sure. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything that uh, Bill and Tom have been so kind to share today on their show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Bill and Tom, ampersand Tom, into the search bar. That page will pop right up. And if you didn't listen to their original shows here on Cars Yeah, they're still there on the website. You can still find them out out there on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and enjoy these two guys because uh, they have a lot to share. Absolutely. And again, one fortunate Cars Yeah subscriber is going to win a copy of this book. So just go to carsyad.com, click on the free book button. I'll send you my filler up book for free and your name will be in the hat. Guys, thank you so much for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners and sharing this fantastic new book, Cuba's Car Culture with the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.